Hey there, welcome back to Great Quarter Guys, the show where the lines between freight and finance are none. I'm Andrew Cox, your host and senior retail analyst here at FreightWaves. I'm alongside lead economist Anthony Smith once again today. We've got an awesome show. We had some news break yesterday that Bed Bath & Beyond has selected Rider System to be their supply chain partner and to own or develop and operate two regional warehouses, uh, regional DCs, one on the East Coast and one on the West Coast. We're going to talk to Steve Sensing today. He is the president of Global Supply Chain Solutions at Rider System. He's going to tell us what this means for Rider because it's it's obviously a big deal for Bed Bath & Beyond. They're moving away from this uh, predominantly crosstalk model that has made their stores very difficult and very lengthy to replenish. They have tasked Rider with helping them bring down their store replenishment from about 35 days to under 10. So we're going to talk to Steve about what that is going to take for them to get them there. So it's gonna be a great conversation here in a few minutes. But before that, let me go ahead and thank Emerge, my sponsor of the show. This episode is brought to you by Emerge, the digital freight marketplace. While market volatility is affecting everyone, you need an RFP expert to navigate the uncertainty. Industry expertise and technology for your RFP event now and in the future. Emerge from the confusion by visiting get.emergemarket.com gqg. Again, that's get.emergemarket.com gqg. All right, Mr. Smith, we have, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the good, the bad, and the Anthony towards the back end of the show. We got non-defense capital goods pretty strong in June, up five or up half a percent after being half, up half a percent in May. So again, continued strength on the business side. What do you got for us on a chart of the day today? So on a chart of the day, I have the LMI. I think this is going to be a little bit applicable to what you were talking about, what's lying ahead of us for today's show, and some of the things that we've been seeing lately. So within the LMI, of course, it's kind of like the PMI wherein Anything over 50 is indicative of expansion, while anything below 50 is indicative of contraction. Today, we have prices in there. And so looking at warehousing prices, this is actually the highest level that we've ever seen it within the LMI. So it's pretty telling here as we've seen this upward movement trend overall. We're seeing that this, I think, is going to be an ongoing trend when we're looking at warehousing utilization, warehousing capacity. This is going to be one of those areas we watch within the supply chain. I mean, inventory levels are one thing, but those warehouses are going to be key and crucial. So this is going to be my chart of the day here. I think we're going to be expecting a new update or, or, or a refresh for the LMI uh, here in the next couple of weeks. But yeah, the LMI is where I kind of keep my attention to as of late towards the end of the month and do some comparisons internally with, of course, our O-Try. Yeah, I'm definitely glad you brought that one up because we can talk to Steve a little bit about what he's seeing from a price standpoint. But I read a report uh, last week from uh, from Cushman and Wakefield that said that the U.S. vacancy rate, industrial real estate vacancy rate, was at an all-time low, 4.5%. It sounds a lot like basically everything else that we hear in the country. Uh, we are growing supply, but just not nearly fast enough to keep up with demand. I saw that a record 467 million square foot of warehouse space was being built in Q2. That's up 47% year over year, but more than a third of that is being built to suit. So it's already going to be gone by the time it hits the market, going to be gobbled up beforehand. So Again, you're probably right, going to see continuing rising prices in warehouses. But we'll talk to Steve to, about that in a moment. I've got two quick ones for you. The first one here, uh, I happened to make a call a couple weeks ago. I said, I don't think spot markets are going to retest the recent highs. It looks like I'm wrong. Here is the truckstop.com seven-day van rate per mile. That is in blue. You've also got the freight wave contract rates in green, both continuing to climb higher. Uh, we have spot rates popping back up to just one cent below the all-time high. You know, for the past two weeks, we've been doing freight waves now every morning, and Donnie Gilbert has blessed us with this presence, and he has been calling upon carriers to raise their rates. He, is, he was saying that we're getting towards the end of the month. The data is just not showing any true loosening, even though Otri had been declining. He was saying, push up your rates. Well, 
they seem to listen and rates are getting pushed back up here towards the end of the month. Um, and to me, it's, it's a little bit of a narrative violation. We, we, we talk about services spending and consumers getting back uh, and not spending so much on goods. We talk about some capacity being added to the market with, uh, with, with record um, motor carrier authorities being added. But it's just not enough right now. Uh, prices keep going up. It wouldn't be a surprise to Ahmed, who we had on last week, who's super bullish. Uh, so that's that one. That is the spot rates for you. Real quickly, the second one here, I wanted to bring these up. This is our TCA benchmarking data, the Truckload Carriers Association. There is some incredible data in Sonar. What you're looking at here in blue is insurance expense as a percentage of revenue. These are company fleets and leased fleets, dry van. And then in uh, orange, you have the um, you have you have insurance expense for reefer uh, as a percentage of revenue. And my big point here is that we're seeing record revenues for carriers, both on drive-in, reefer, pretty much whatever you're hauling, you're, you're making a lot of money doing it right now. Yet insurance as a percentage of revenue continues to climb. You look at insurance or you look at gas expense as a percentage of revenue, and it has fallen significantly, even though it's rising now with rising gas prices. Um, maintenance expense has actually come down as a percentage of revenue, but insurance continues to rise. Uh, I don't have any reasoning for this, but I just wanted to put it on everybody's kind of radar here that uh, insurance expense. This was a big deal of what caused a lot of the bankruptcies we saw toward the end of 2018 leading into 2019. Once we see this market turn, it might take 18 to 24 months. Who knows? Um, but those insurance costs are going to be something weighing on uh, on small carriers when that happens. I think that's a good call out. I mean, because it's one of those variables that a lot of people aren't thinking about right now. It's not on the headlines. It's not on the forefront of a lot of people's minds right now. So I think that's a really good call out to think about some of these variables that aren't quite anticipated. Yeah, most definitely. And go check out the TCA benchmarking data in Sonar. If you are a Sonar subscriber, you can get some awesome stuff. They've got driver turnover percentages, length of haul averages, empty mile percentages, like as I said, maintenance and gas costs, plus a lot more. So go check out that data. Some really great stuff. All right, let's bring on Mr. Steve Sensing. I have been very excited for this one. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. So, Steve, let's uh, let's start big, man. Let's let's start with you though, because I do believe this is your Freightways TV TV debut, if I'm not mistaken. And you've spent a long time at Ryder. I think you've spent your entire career there. Talk to me about the changes you've seen in the company and the industry over the past, you know, two three decades. Yeah, no, I've been here. Uh, Sunday will be 29 years. So, started here straight out of school, went to the University of Tennessee, and and I'll tell you, I think over the last 30 years, what I've really seen most recently is is a heavier emphasis on supply chain and dedicated transportation as a part of the company. So as you you know, our rental and leasing side of the business, uh, our CEO, Robert Sanchez and leadership, we really focused over the last six or seven years uh, to grow uh, supply chain and dedicated transportation kind of disproportionately. So we're excited about that. Big investments in technology, which are critical to our operations and, and some things I'll share uh, with the Bed Bath opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. We are here to talk about that big deal with Bed Bath & Beyond. But, but briefly, tell me a little bit about your role as the president of supply chain, uh, of global supply chain and uh, global supply chain solutions at Ryder. Excuse me. Okay. Yeah. No, I've got the fortunate opportunity. I've got a great team uh, of experts across the industry. Uh, my organization oversees uh, not only the strategy uh, development of supply chain and dedicated, uh, but the day-to-day -day execution and customer relationships and, and sales. So we we cover the gamut and uh, work across the organization with a great great team of leaders. Steve, um, excited to have you here and definitely excited after the big news. And can you tell us a little bit more about what this partnership means for Ryder? Well, you know, it's always great to have marquee names. Uh, we work with uh, many of the Fortune 500 companies uh, 
you know, across North America. Uh, so the omni-channel presence, e-commerce, certainly, as you guys know, has accelerated over the last uh, 12 to 18 months and is only going to continue to grow. Um, and this is a great showcase account. You know, uh, operation in PA in California will certainly be one of our premier retail customers. Hey, Steve, in the Bed Bath & Beyond kind of press release that they came out, they had a quote from you talking about how you felt the fit between Ryder and Bed Bath & Beyond just makes for a great fit. Can you add some color on why you felt that way? Yeah, you know, the RQ process is, is interesting, right? Uh, companies are looking for the right fit with the 3PL, and we do the same thing because it's, it's absolutely critical that you've got the right cultural fit. Uh, you know, I could see very early on in the process and working with, um, with the team, with John and the team, that, you know, they had a, a mindset around their people. So people is a priority, priority for them, priority for us. It's going to be a key piece of what we do for them. Uh, safety is the number one focus. You know, we live by the mantra that we want our employees to return home in the same shape that they came to work. So safety is the number one focus for us. Uh, a, a focus on continuous improvement. We've got a great um, organization within Rider that focuses on lean continuous improvement. So those core principles, standard work, and, and is really the key foundation of how we operate the business. So certainly to John and team, uh, continuous improvement is a key piece of, of what we're going to do. Technology, uh, you know, technology is, is rapidly changing. Uh, we invest heavily in technology, certainly buy a lot off the shelf, but also uh, we've got a great group that kind of adds bolt-on capabilities to our warehouse management system and our transportation optimization system, as well as our visibility tools. So technology was a key tenant for them as well. Uh, and then really around business analytics and engineering, uh, as, as we go through the, the locations that we're going to operate for them, uh, they are highly automated operations handling thousands, tens of thousands of cartons every day uh, in and out. So a, a key piece for us to be aligned across those those five or six key tenants. Yeah, that's that's awesome, Steve. I want to come back and talk about tech here in a little bit because this is a big big thing right now. I think that there's a little bit of a misconception of what maybe the average warehouse looks like. I think uh, maybe it's Amazon or uh, whatever the effect there is. I think you know the average American thinks the the average warehouse has thousands of robots and it's highly automated. But we can get into that here in a moment. Talk. Talk to me about this store replenishment time, because this is something that I kind of stumbled upon months ago uh, when CEO Mark Triton was talking about their supply chain makeover. And they, he talked, he said that it took them 35 days to replenish a store fully, which, which seems crazy to me. There's a lot happening outside of what Ryder is doing to help them kind of rein in their sourcing model, bring down inventory. There's lots of things happening outside of Ryder. But what, can you detail what you guys at Ryder are going to do to help them try to bring down that store replenishment time to under 10 days? Yeah. Yeah, I think you hit it uh, well on the front end. You know, their uh, their previous supply chain was very disparate, uh, disorganized, a a massive network of small cross stock facilities. So you just think about all of the goods that they purchase around the globe and bringing those into the multiple ports, and then having to aggregate those for really a, a speedy, seamless customer experience at the store level. And uh, it's, it's really impossible to do, right? I mean, you're going to get those lead times of 20 to 35, 40 days. So I think their strategy is, is spot on for the retail space. We offer services to other retailers that have similar models. So we've, we've operated those before. But this regional DC strategy, so having these very large buildings within the market uh, and able to quickly uh, get the product out of those facilities into the stores is, is the key tenant there. So 
you know, the touches are going down uh, drastically. Uh, in our network, it may be touched maybe two to four times, where previously it could have been touched in excess of 10 or 12 times. So I think they're, they've got a great strategy and we're proud to be part of it. Hey, Steve, um, I was thinking, you know, you guys are building the one here in or the one in, up north in Pennsylvania that should be done sometime back into this year and the California one open next year, uh, not only for Bed Bath & Beyond, but for retailers in general. Can you can you reach the entire country with with two day shipping on you know most SKUs if you just have uh, a warehouse on each coast? Yeah, we've actually got a, an e-fulfillment network that we are building out and selling into. And we've got three nodes today, uh, one in PA, one in uh uh, Texas and the other in Los Angeles. And we can hit about 89% of the population in two-day ground. Uh, we're going to be adding a new location. I'd love to get on next year and, and share with the group uh, that'll that'll extend that service to about 99%. So it's all about, you know, getting getting those locations around the key population areas. Well, you will, you, you're, you're more than welcome to come back and tell us uh, whenever you guys have new news at Ryder. Hey, tell me a little bit about these facilities in particular, though, the two that are you guys are developing and operating for Bed Bath & Beyond. Are these, are these greenfield projects or are they you know, old facilities that you are refurbishing? What, what does that look like? No, they are uh, right now the location in PA is uh, just completed construction. So it's, it's a brand new facility. Uh, they are exiting some of the other locations that they had operated out of in, in other geographies. So, uh, you know, really a, a, a greenfield operation. And there are always unique challenges with that. You know, part of the part of the big issues over the last six months has been still still access, still prices, things like that. And I think we've done a, a really good job in, in our procurement process and in, in delivering those on time. Um, you know, the groups are working, working really well together. It's about a, a little over a million square feet uh, in each location. So massive, massive buildings. So, Steve, one of the areas I've been looking at closely throughout the economy, of course, you mentioned these facilities and all that's going to go into them. Labor is always on the top of my mind. Can you talk about some of the challenges or some of the aspects that you're really going to be focusing on with supplying these facilities with labor? Well, it's uh, labor is a labor is a key challenge, right? I think everybody is seeing it across not only the driver community. You, you touched on the truckload uh, you know, rates in the spot market. Uh, we're seeing, you know, increases on the driver side, uh, warehouse side turnover has increased significantly over the last six months. So I really think it's going to take some time for this to stabilize uh, now that, you know, many of the states are, are discontinuing some of the extended benefits that should relieve a little bit of the pressure. But you're going into peak season with a very rapid growing e-commerce network. So that's going to, you know, that's going to have added pressure. Uh, so I think we got to get through the back half of the year into into 22 to see where that ends up. Uh, we've got some good partnerships. We've got people on the ground, uh, a heavy recruiting organization behind this operation. So we're going to have people on the ground in PA and in uh, LA uh, doing the grassroots work of hiring, you know, these key people because we we've, we've got a great story to tell. You know, a, a pretty large percentage of our hourly people kind of grow up in the organization, move on to. Uh, team lead roles and supervisor roles and, and even manager roles. So I think it's a great place to work. The other thing about it is we've got other uh, industries that we serve in these geos. So a person can come to work for Ryder like I did. They can work across retail, CPG, automotive, industrial, tech, healthcare, and sometimes never have to move. You know, and it's just maybe a little bit longer drive, but uh, we've got over 65 million square feet of warehouse space. Uh, across uh, across the U.S. and uh, Mexico and Canada that we operate. 
Yeah, that's incredible, Steve. You get a very wide range of supply chain knowledge there at, at Ryder. Hey, tell me, let's talk a little bit about um, e-commerce. Like I saw Prologis came out in their Q2 um, in their Q2 earnings and said that 30% of the new leases that they signed in Q2 were for e-commerce or you know direct to consumer kind of digitally native companies. That was up from 25% in Q1. Are you are you guys at Ryder seeing that kind of trend and that kind of demand from e-commerce companies looking for new space? Yes, every we're working with many partners now across uh, across North America, uh, multiple real estate partners and brokers uh, to help us find the st- uh, the space. And uh, I would I would agree with you. It's about 96, 97 percent utilized right now. Um, you know, we're starting to look at more buildings that are coming out of the ground and speculating, you know, in certain geographies that we know we're going to be in, you know, longer term for our customers. So, uh, no, I think you're I think you're spot on. We're seeing lease rates going up because of this. Uh, and again, you know, I think more of this e-commerce omni-channel uh, growth is just going to put uh, continued pressure there. So it's exciting to be into it. It's it's a challenge, but I think one that, you know, 3PLs can bring a, a good competitive advantage to uh, to the customers. Steve, you might not know the answer to this, but it's just, I'm just got myself thinking here, uh, you know, moving from a crosstalk model to this more regional DC model, do you think uh, do you think it could actually lead to a higher usage of truckload rather than LTL out of these regional facilities to to replenish the stores, or will it just kind of be dependent on what's needed at the store? Well, I, I think it really it really depends on the retailer. Um, you know, we as I said before, we serve many different retailer uh, models out there, and um, you know, in there in, in many models, the store deliveries are are frequent, more frequent, smaller deliveries, so they can get that. They can keep the inventory down in in the stores and then have a repetitive model where you may go to that store every two days, every three days, or in some situations every day. Uh, certainly in bed bath model, we've got, you know, what we call about 25 local routes that'll go out of these facilities, hit those stores in a, in a scheduled basis. And then we're going to be running about 70 or 80 trucks that are going to go to pool points that'll feed the less populated networks uh, and locations out in, in uh, across the country. So I think, again, I think they've done a great job with it and, uh, and we're here to execute. And Steve, was, um, were those routes and kind of things, were those determined, you know, in the RFP process well before the, you know, before the facilities were even built? Yep. We're, we're focused on the four walls. Uh, you know, they worked with a, a consultant and their internal group to understand exactly what that would look like. And it's, it's going to be in a phased approach. So, uh, you know, as as this area expands, we'll do more local deliveries and then we'll cut off some of those pool points as other RDCs uh, get stood up over the next two, three, four years. Uh, that makes sense. OK, Steve, I don't mean to to rush you out or to uh, overlook this deal because it is a huge deal. But, but what's next? What can we look forward to from you and your team? Well, we're uh, the pipeline's full. Uh, many customers out there looking for great uh, companies like Ryder to provide you know, transportation, uh, dedicated services, and warehousing, the e-com forum. Uh, we're growing big and big and bulky right now, so it's an exciting time to be at Ryder. Uh, lots of opportunities for our customers and for our employee base. So uh, excited to be here. And again, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime, Steve. Where should we send any uh, retailer or shipper looking to find out more information about Ryder or about you? Well, you send them straight to www.rider.com or send them to me. They can look me up on LinkedIn and I'm intimately involved in the process. So we'd love to uh, love to get an opportunity. All right, Mr. Steve Sensing, thanks so much for taking the time today. We'll see more of you soon. All right, thank you. All right.
All right, Tony, we got about nine minutes here. We can, uh, let's let's go ahead and do our buy or sell for the day. Uh, this one is on package delivery demand. So I saw UPS, they came out with Q2 earnings, I believe uh, either Friday or Monday. They said, they gave an estimate, Carol Tomei, CEO Carol Tomei, gave an estimate that during the 2021 peak season, they are projected to have uh, demand that exceeds capacity by about 5 million pieces of packages per day. So 5 million parcels per day. Uh, you buying or selling that? I'm buying it. I'm buying it, but I think it's it doesn't mean as much to me. I buy it. I believe it. I think it's it's fully factual. All these things are true. But I think so many people with the field are going to be going through the same thing. I think it's going to be spread across the board. So yeah, I'm buying it. Yeah, I, I don't know what to think about this one. I don't. <laughs> I really don't because okay, this this is why. Okay, we were short about 7.2 million packages per day last year. That was according to Ship Matrix and, and Satish Jindal, CEO there. They've got some great parcel data. He said we were down about 7.2 million packages last year. And the whole, um, the whole push from Carol Tomei has been better, not bigger at UPS. It was, we are not going to bring in freight and volume to our network just for the sake of doing it. We're going to focus on the most profitable freight, which is typical uh, for them, has been focusing on small businesses and business to business, as well as some small business to consumer. But in Q2, uh, UPS's average domestic package volume fell 3% year over year. Again, we're comparing to Q2 last year when we were all stuck at home. And so it's, it's a difficult comp. But that was mainly due to SurePost, which is kind of their handoff service where they hand off packages to the USPS for them to do final, de- uh, final delivery at home. And Carol Tomei said that they expected that business to fall. It was down by about 1.3 million packages you know why it was down? Because businesses reopened. Uh, the economy has reopened. Uh, and I just, I question whether there's going to be that, that much demand come uh, Christmas time when it, like year over year change. Like I've been looking at the online, um, online retail sales data from Bank of America. We've been running negative compared to 2020 since May. Not very much negative. I mean, we're still up 50, 60, 70% over 2019, but we're spending less online this year than we were last year. And if you look at that total, total percent of online sales done online, it is still you know, above pre-COVID levels, but it's just straight downtrend. Uh, and it really hasn't found a bottom yet. So I think the only thing that could make this, uh, you know, could really exasperate this issue is if the you know, Delta variant really spreads really bad in the, in the back half of the year and we have to go into a, you know, another lockdown where retail stores are closed and then we're forced to buy more stuff online. But I, I don't know if that's going to happen. I, I couldn't tell you that, you know, the, the UK is coming over there, um, their, their third or fourth surge, whatever this is now. It seems that we are actually further along in our surge than we may think right now. So I question whether or not there's actually going to be that much demand, uh, 5 million packages more than their capacity can handle. Yeah, I think that's a good call out there on whether or not that there will be that type of demand. I think the one thing that there might be potentially is higher peaks. So even though if we do trend a little bit lower historically, I think maybe there might be something for higher seasonal peaks um, as we move forward. But yeah, it's a good call out. Well, we got, you know, you have really strong consumer demand. It's just, it's it's crazy to me that UPS, I know that they're focusing on optimization, making yeah. their network better, but it, it blows my mind that there's no more capacity now than there was this time last year. When they knew, we knew, everybody knew that COVID was going to be here all year. We were going to be buying a lot of stuff online. Um, it just seems, seems a bit nutty to me. It's up there. Maybe that's why, you know, UPS is selling off uh, like 4 or 5% today after posting record earnings. Who knows? <laughs> There's a lot going on. Today. There's a lot going on in the stock market today. I'm doing my best to avoid looking at it. <laughs> all right. Uh, another company, uh, this is going to do you care or not now. we got about five minutes. Got a few for you. Uh, so Tesla announced earnings yesterday. It was quite an, an incoherent uh, <laughs> earnings call if you go back and listen to it. But uh, one of the big news for our industry is 
they have formally announced the delay of the Tesla Semi to 2022. Anthony, you care or not? Nah, I mean, I mean, whenever it comes to Tesla, I mean, I'm, I enjoy looking at the products, what it is that they do, but I don't really get too surprised when there are these delays. I thought we we're going to be seeing cyber trucks on the road by now. I thought there was going to be a Tesla Roadster, you know, zooming up and down Market Street by now. So when I look at this, I'm not too surprised. So I'm going to put this as a nah. Yeah, I am saying not to this one as well. Uh, it was likely, you know, they set this goal to deliver some by the end of 2021. Their goal, I think I had read, you know, some some rumors that they were trying to get to five trucks per week uh, by, you know, November, December. They're going to be making these in the Austin plant. Uh, this will probably be the third vehicle made at that Austin plant. They're going to go with the Model Y and then the Cybertruck and then the Semi. So uh, it might not be till the middle of next year before we get into these. But Tesla's super battery constrained. They are chip constrained, Yeah. you know, and if they are going to, if their goal is to accelerate the advent of electric um, in electric cars and sustainable energy, they got to make as many cars as they possibly can. And they can make like five or six cars with the amount of batteries they put in one uh, Tesla Semi. So I'm not surprised. And no, I don't care. Um, Elon did say this during the call. I thought this was a, a great point. He said, your production ramp or your production line is as slow as the slowest part of your supply chain. And he, was, he made a reference to... Uh, to airbag modules. He's saying in the Model Y, they've got, he said, there's got about 10,000 parts in these things. Yeah. 9,999 9, 9, of them are here. We're missing the airbag module and it's completely shut down production. So it's just like something to think about in supply chain. Like when you're building big, you know, big complex things, one tiny little part can completely shut down, uh, the, completely shut down the supply chain. Yeah, that's a good point right there. I mean, that kind of brings me back to just in time and the strategy around it. Like, I think a lot of companies had this just-in-time playbook, and it was just set in stone. I think now we're going to have to see, especially after COVID-19, COVID-19, I think, is going to push different types of just-in-time strategies, not just like this is our play-by-play. I think there's going to be different uh, um, game theories and sets out that is going to be really spanning out for them. Yeah, I mean, it's like flexibility and agility. I think those are the two words of 2021 uh, in supply chain. Everybody's looking for that. Nobody knows exactly what it means. But uh, it means having options. And, and Tesla did say this on the, on the call that they're having chip shortages, you know, obviously like every car, uh, every car company is, but they're trying out and they've tested out 19 different uh, little controllers to try to get around this. But they've got, it's basically like a smorgasbord of parts in their yeah. cars right now, which I'm sure most cars are like that right now. It's just, uh, it, it's kind of crazy what the links they're having to go through to make sure they get their cars made. Okay, uh, let's move on to the next one real quick. This is Instacart. They have announced that they are going to step outside of their, their store model, and they're going to build warehouses in partnership with retailers. Instacart announced Thursday that it plans to offer automated fulfillment as a service to grocers in the U.S. and Canada, and that it has signed a multi-year deal with technology firm Fabric, who is an incredible uh, robotics company as part of the endeavor. Anthony, you care or not? I care because it shows that they're going to, I think they're getting ahead of the curve because I think, of course, this is something that's going to be on everyone's mind, but I think this is something that we're going to have to see or companies are going to have to really jump on because the longer you wait, I think the more difficult and the more expensive this kind of endeavor is going to be. I think that is a really good point that I hadn't really thought of, you know, to that point uh, that, that robotics are super expensive. The tech, the software behind them is very expensive. And if you can basically just outsource that and you can pay for it as a service, it could have some value there. You know, this is the first time they're moving outside of the store. This is a huge company. Instacart is now. They've got something like 35, 40% of the online um, online grocery market. So they are a dominant player. It's a little bit strange. I think the, the whole thing's a little bit strange to me because I was fully expecting, where, you know, Instacart to announce uh, we're going to open up micro fulfillment centers and we're going to operate them ourselves. We're going to own our own inventory, similar to what GoPuff and Joker and all of these kind of on-demand 
uh, retailers are doing. But it's just, it's like one step short of that. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm a little bit like, I don't know how to feel about it, but I'm definitely intrigued. Yeah, I think that's another good point of not really controlling your entire supply chain. I mean, that's really been the advantage, I think, for many companies and many outlets is really being able to control that. So I think that's a good point there. It's like the third party, how much control, how much flexibility do you have there? That's right. Um, okay, so there was a couple uh, from last week that we didn't get to, but I, I just want to mention these because they were kind of strange to me. So Amazon uh, asked Apple to remove an app that spots fake reviews, and Apple agreed. Uh, okay, so Apple removed this 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 app called FakeSpot. It's a well-known app for detecting fake product reviews, which if you've been on Amazon or really any um, marketplace in the last year, you understand that this is a serious issue. Uh, they have these bots that can create incredible uh, fake reviews. And this, this app um, supposedly did a good job of stopping that. But what it did was, you know, put, it basically put this interface over Amazon's app and Amazon did not like that at all. And they told Apple that they needed to take it down. And apparently Apple gave them plenty of time to do it, um, but they never made any changes. So they, they pulled the app. Uh, so, which is, I just thought it was something that Amazon and Apple kind of came together on this yeah. uh, and, and got this done. Just something to watch for because Amazon is doing its best to try to rein in these reviews, but it's not easy to do. All right. That's been it for episode 79 of Great Quarter, guys. We will be back live next week at uh, 3 o'clock Eastern right here on FreightWaves TV or wherever you listen to podcasts. We are available on demand at Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Again, this is Anthony Smith, lead economist. I'm Andrew Cox, senior retail analyst here at Freightways. We will see you next week. Thanks for tuning in.